0: Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. The uh, series that I have prepared for the church is entitled Hedges. Everyone say out loud the word hedge. Hedge. The word hedge in the scripture is a very important word, and we're going to get to that word. I want you to find in your Bible, the book of Job, and go to chapter 1, verse 10, and we'll be there in just a moment. Job chapter 1, verse 10, will be the verse I will lift off, and I will build the foundation of the series upon that verse. In the Bible, we have a lot that is said about hedges, because hedges is something that God wants to build in every person's life. When you go to build hedges, you need to understand what is the actual elements of a hedge, What is the actual theology of a hedge? We know that the hedge must have something to do with protection and we'll be looking at that. But how many kinds of hedges can we build and what actually does a hedge do in your life and my life? As I meditated upon this particular time for our church, I meditate and I pray and I study very strategically for City Bible Church. None of it is accidental. When I go to God and His throne about this church, I'm looking for my spiritual compass. I'm looking for a word that will build the individual. I'm looking for a word that will maybe reach in and undo some of the work of the enemy and reach in and encourage the work of God in every individual's life. The depth of a church is in the depth of the individual. It's not in the depth of the volume of our worship. It's not the depth spiritually as in our buildings, what size buildings we have, how glorious they might look or be. The depth of the church is in the individual. If the individual loves Jesus, the church will be a Jesus church. If the individual knows how to pray, the church will be a praying church. People can hide in church. They can hide in the corporate atmosphere. They can come into the building and never change. They can come into the building and never pray. They can come into a building for years of their life and not grow. Now, that is not what Jesus wants for your life. Jesus wants to relate to you very personally. Jesus wants to be involved with you on a daily basis. Jesus wants to deepen his work of grace in your life. And so Jesus having a desire to own you and work through you means you have to open your life up to him. When you were born again, your spirit was joined to the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 6 speaks about this. The way your spirit is joined to the Holy Spirit is when you do a sinner's prayer or a prayer that asks for Jesus to come into your life. It might sound like a simplistic thing, and it is because the gospel is very simplistic. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for your sin because there's something wrong with us. We are sinners. We are born this way. We're not sinners because we do sin. We're sinners because we're born into sin. And because we're born into sin, we cannot change that without another nature. If we only deal with the old nature and try to change, the old nature will always beat us. And so we have to have a new nature and Christ is the person that comes into our life as the new nature to give us a chance to change. And so the sinner's prayer is acknowledging that Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and Jesus Christ is alive now. And the sacrifice of Christ that was made on the cross, the blood of Jesus, is able to cleanse me from all sin. And the blood of Jesus is able to make me a brand new person. And so when I pray that prayer, we call it the sinner's prayer, a repentant prayer, a lordship prayer, turn my life to Jesus prayer. I'm simply bowing my life to Jesus and saying, Jesus, come in into my inner man, come into my spirit man, and let there be a change in me. When that happens, and you are born again, your spirit man is a spirit man. It actually has a will, it has emotions, it has a mind, it has thoughts. The spirit man is a person. And when you put on the person of Christ, that person has all the same things that the natural man has. And so on the natural, I have thoughts, and the natural I have intentions, and in the natural I have appetites. Now my appetites grow out of my habits. I will be hungry for what I do. If I eat certain kind of food, drink certain kind of coffee, do certain kind of entertainment, I begin to get addicted to where I hunger for that thing that I do. That's why people become addicted to happies and, and to hunting and to golfing and to fishing and to whatever it might be. Because the more you give your natural man to something, the more the addiction sets in, which is not sinful in, in a sense unless it passes over and you start demolishing ever other areas of your life, then it can be a problem. But in the natural realm, your natural man will uh, be a addicted personality to the things you do. So it is in the spirit man. As a spiritual person, I am supposed to hunger for the Word of God. Amen. The book of Hebrews says, I should desire, bottom line, first, the sincere milk of the Word, just like a baby. Well, the sincere milk of the word would be just reading the Bible and taking the scriptures and, and you don't have deep theological assent to it. You don't have hermeneutics and you don't do all kinds of deep Hebrew and Greek study and you're not trying to find out the theology of this thing. You're just drinking in the milk of the word. You're reading the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Gospels and you're just letting Jesus just wash over your soul and you need to drink in the milk of the word. But you have to open the word to get the milk. And so if you never open the word and your spirit man is never fed, your spirit man will be dwarfed or it could die on you and the, not that you are going to hell die, your spirit dies, but the appetite inside of you will die and you won't desire anything to do with the kingdom of God. And so there's times in your life where you turn back your appetites and, and the way you do that, part of it, is in fasting and prayer. Uh, fasting and praying is a great thing to do. It's a discipline, but it also does something to your inner man that turns you back to maybe just hungering for the Word, hungering for prayer, calling on the name of Jesus, filling the Holy Spirit, having some devotional time that surpasses anything you've had yet this year. And you begin to press into the kingdom of God because your spirit man is motivated. You you feel some desire to do this. You're you're running hard after God like the deer that for the water brooks. Your soul begins to pant for God and you desire God even more than your natural food. Imagine that for a person to desire God more than they would a cheeseburger or an omelet or a steak. And you can just smell it right at lunchtime when I start talking about food and all the great things you can go home and eat. You're natural man. You really want to get into that and get that food eaten because you're natural man so loves it. How would it be if you loved prayer and the Holy Spirit as much as you loved a cheeseburger, as much as you loved a steak, as much as you loved a a big fat omelette? You just had a desire. I can't wait to get into my prayer time. I can't wait to drink in some milk of the word. I can't wait for Jesus to visit me. I love to spend time with Jesus. Because my spirit man comes out of there rejoicing and I suck the devil right in the nose and I overcome habits and the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than an overcomer. I have a destiny. I have a purpose. I'm called. I'm elected. I'm valued. I'm on my way somewhere. Thank God for prayer and the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? amen. Prayer fits you're spiritual man. Right. Now, what I want to do is encourage you, no matter what level you're at, to become a praying person and to enter into some fasting and prayer with us. Everybody can do something. Everybody can fast one meal. Everybody can fast some TV. Everybody can fast some hobbies. Everybody can set some time aside. You have a prayer card I gave you. You can open the day with 10 minutes of prayer. Use one point, read those scriptures. It takes you about 10 minutes. Everybody can do that. Close your day out by popping the Bible open and reading a psalm. Maybe you've never done that your whole life, to start the day with Jesus and end the day with Jesus. See what happens to your day, because something will change in your thinking, your desire, and you, about the third or fourth day into this, especially if you just fast a little bit, and if you read a little bit, your spirit man starts having hunger pains. More, more, more. Give me more. What? More. I want some more word. Okay, okay. I'm at work. I'll get to you as soon as I can. Okay. But when you get home, I want you to be reading the Bible. I need to eat. Okay, okay, okay. I'm on it. I'm on it. Your spirit man starts talking to you and pushing you. And those desires start coming up in you. And before you know it, you're enjoying prayer as much as a cheeseburger. It's a miracle in America to have that happen. Now, one of the things I want you to do, and I will help you do this, we will do it together as a congregation. I want you to learn how to build your hedge. Here's my definition of a hedge. Now, this is in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 10. I'm not going to do the theology of suffering and Job and the, uh, the depth of the questions that could come up about Job and all that. This is not the purpose of the series, although I want to frame a couple of things as we start. In Job chapter 1 and verse 10, I want you to write this definition in your Bible if you can. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. I hope you write this definition down. Hedges is used in Scripture to illustrate God's divine strategic, strategic, protection, protection, protection. Around, around, around. His people, His people, His people. Against, against, against. All the weapons of the enemy, all the intentions, all the stratagems, all the various ways the enemy would like to trip you up or violate your will or violate your emotions or violate your mind. The enemy is on it with you. He never stops. You might stop seeking God. The enemy never stops seeking you. Ever. The devil is out to devour Every person he can. Your soul is a ruby in his crown. If he can destroy any work of God in your life, he's thrilled with that. The whole demonic underworld is really in a strategy against your soul. And those that are assigned to you, those demonic powers or spirits of infirmity or whatever you might want to believe about the dark side of this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, the devil's kingdom, it is real. It is real. It is real. The world, the flesh, and the devil, 1st John says, are your three enemies. You think you're doing well because you don't give in to the flesh, but that's only one-third. Yeah. Think you're doing well because you're not living according to the world philosophy and culture, but that's only one-third. You think you're doing well, but really there's three enemies that you have. The world will try to press your thinking. The flesh will try to grab your habits. And the devil will attack your mind. And so if the three of them gang up on you at the same time and they do well... You can be conquered by the world culture by the habits of the flesh and by the enemy of your mind to get you to have such strongholds and things that are going on inside of you that you cannot break out into a fresh time of growth and even hear the voice of the Lord because the world, the culture, and all the philosophy and the lies of this culture and the flesh and all the habits and the and the desires of the flesh that you might be feeding and the flesh gets stronger and then the devil comes in to attack your mind and he hurls all these thoughts towards you and the deception and before you know it, you're dealing with three enemies but you're not overcoming them, and you'll come under them, not over them. That's not the will of God. One way to get over instead of under the world of flesh and the devil is prayer and fasting in the name of Jesus that pushes back darkness, overcomes the flesh, and beats the enemy back so that we are more than conquerors in the name of Jesus. Prayer is a huge part of that. So we build hedges. Now in this story, God gives us a glimpse into his thinking. It says in Job chapter 1 that he was an upright man. He was a man that had a great family, great prosperity. He was a man that ministered to many other people. The Bible says he was a model believer. So the devil came before God, the adversary, Satan. Satan. Interesting that he had access to the throne along with the other angels. And the devil says, hey, I have a, I have an issue with one of your guys. Guys, who might that be? Job. Job, my servant Job? Yeah, I have an issue with him. My servant Job? My servant Job, who is upright, who served me? You have an issue with Job? Yeah, because I think there's a problem with Job. God says, what might that be? And this is the bottom line of the test philosophy and part of the theology behind the whole book of Job. He simply says, I think Job serves you for what he gets out of you. His motive is wrong. And if you ever touch anything you have given him, he'll turn from you because he only served you for what you give him. God says, I'll take that challenge. I know the man's heart. That is not his heart. And so then the story began to unfold. And as the story unfolds, and many theologians have taken many different aspects of this, and I know when I taught it in Bible college, for several years, it was always a, a hard book and a fun book to teach because there's so many different views about Job and God and the devil and, and suffering and, and what happens and who allows what and what can happen to a life and was Job wrong or right? What about his three friends? We're not going to get into all that, although it would be a fun series to do. I just want you to, to get a glimpse into one thing. Job 1 verse 10, are you there? Job 1 10. I want you to get a glimpse into something that's real for every one of us. Job 1.10. You have, this is one translation, always protected him. Now notice, if you're taking notes in your Bible now, just write in your scriptures, right there, notice what the protection was. You have always protected him and his family. And... Everything he owns. And you bless everything he does. And you have given him enough cattle to fill the whole country. Another translation, listen to it. Job 1 verse 10, another translation. Have you not put a hedge around this guy? Have you not put a hedge around him? Have you not put a hedge around his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. The accusation and then the glimpse into how God works with an individual gives rise to a very important conceptual theological theme in scripture, hedges, hedges. this strategic, divine, protective hedges. There's five of them. I want you to write these down. The five hedges that you should have over your life, around your life, and you have a right to. And then I'll balance so that you understand there's nothing magical or sovereign about a hedge. So I want to balance this. I want you to hear it. There's a prayer hedge, a personal, relational, possessions, and favor hedge. Those are five things brought up in Job 1.10. The prayer hedge, we'll be looking at the personal hedge, physical, soul, mind, emotions, relational hedge, which is his household, his children, but not only his children, it extended even to his servants relational hedges that are built around people I'm responsible for, people that I have a responsibility to protect and to make sure they have a healthy environment and to make sure they understand what it means to serve God. A relational hedge and then a possessions hedge. The possessions hedge here is actually real estate. That's the word. The word used here is actually property. The word that would go well with the hedge is the word ownership. Anything you own, anything That is in your hands. You're supposed to be a steward of the things you own. You're supposed to use the things you own to serve God. You're supposed to be a good steward over everything God allows you to have in your hand. Whether it's property, real estate or anything else. Don't super-spiritualize Christianity away because God is interested in your natural life. He's interested in your job and your business and everything you do with everything you own, every possession you have. You can misuse possessions. They can possess you, which is wrong. Or you can use them for the kingdom of God. You can use them as a conduit to love people and give to people. Your possessions are very important. And God built a hedge around his possessions. God also built a favor hedge. A favor hedge is your occupation. It's the work of your hands. It's your business. It's your job. It's your work life. It also is your success factor. What you will become in life. If you follow the word through and study these themes, you'll understand God is interested in your success factor. He wants to achieve certain things in life. You're called to achieve. You're not called just to uh, exist. You're called to achieve you're called to succeed. If you are in the school business, you're called to be a successful teacher. If you're in a business, you're called to be a successful marketplace person. If you're a builder, you should be building the best houses ever built. If you are a salesman, you should be the most honest and the most successful salesman in your entire corporation. You are called to be a cut above. You're called to be the head and not the tail. You're called to succeed in life and God wants to build a hedge around your success. But many times we allow the hedge to be violated. Violated. Now, the hedge is powerful. The hedge is real. Here, God says to Job and says to the devil, I'll bring the hedge down. I'll let it come down. Which means God and Job had built it up. There was a hedge. And the devil, so aware of this, says, I can't touch him. I can't get through the hedge. And if you would let me get through the hedge and touch some of his stuff and even him, I guarantee you something will change. And so there was something invisibly, supernaturally around Job that caused him to have those five hedges. Now, the hedge in itself is not sovereign. The hedge in itself It's not some kind of a magic thing. Okay, I'm going to build a hedge and that's it. Remember this. Hedges can be violated. Hedges can be broken down. When Samson served God and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and covered him and hedged him in, as it says, nobody could touch him. He could achieve mighty things and no one could stop him. The enemy couldn't do a thing. But because he misconstrued, misconceived, because he thought wrong about his power and his protection that he could actually live and do anything he wants to even violate the living word of God and still have this hedge and this strength, he was wrong. So he lived in immorality. His lifestyle was deceptive. One day he went out to meet the enemy and it says, he went out and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me like other times. And as he shook himself to fight the enemy, there was no power. It was gone. And it says in the Bible, and he became like any other man. Why? Because he violated the hedge. It says in Isaiah chapter 5 that Israel violated the hedge. Now remember this, a hedge can be around an individual, a family. A business, a job, a work life, a church, a city, a nation. Israel had a hedge. So much so that when they crossed over Jordan, nobody could stand against them. So much so that God did supernatural things to protect them in ways that man could never do for Israel. But Israel took advantage of the protective hedge, took advantage of the divine sovereign hand of God upon their life, and they Went away from the Lord by doing what? Immorality, idolatry, seeking after all other gods, violating the commandments of Moses. And there came a day when God says, I want to take the hedge down. It's in your Bible. And when I take the hedge down, it says every wild animal will come in, will tear them apart, which happened. So I'm not giving you today some kind of a magical Christian tool that if you'll just build this hedge, it doesn't matter how you live and what you think, nothing will happen. That is not true. You have to cooperate with the hedge builder, the hedge principles, and the hedge that God promises to put around your life. But you have to cooperate with the word of God. You cannot tear your own hedge down. Ecclesiastes 10.8. If you tear your hedge down, it says this, the serpent will come in and bite you. Ecclesiastes 10.8. If you let your hedge get broken into, serpent will come and bite you. So our responsibility to build a prayer and a personal and and a, a possession and a favor and And all the hedges that we want around everything we are, everything we own, every place we're going, what we want God to bring upon our life, the favor and the blessing of the Lord. I want to teach you how to do that. And I want to start 2012 with City Bible Church with a desire to say we want to build hedges around our personhood around our relationships, around our home, around our business, around our job, around our church, around the people we love. We understand there's a hedge to be built. Why? Because there's a real serpent. There's a real uh, person and in the spirit realm that will come and destroy your life. If you allow him to destroy your life, like Solomon tore the hedge down, in came the serpent. Judas, let the hedge fall, in came the serpent. I could go through the scriptures and show you the people that had a divine protection. They just let the hedge go. And the enemy came in like a flood. What's the Bible say? The Lord will raise up a standard, but the enemy will come in like a flood if there's no standard. If you don't raise up that hedge, the enemy will come in like a flood. He will mangle your marriage. He'll harm your parenting. He'll ruin your finances. He'll do anything He can to trip you up to make sure the work of God is not achieved through your life. But I'm proclaiming today that that is not going to happen at City Bible Church. I'm proclaiming today that greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. I'm proclaiming today that the cross is greater than all the darkness and the hell that we face and all the demons that would like to come against us. Jesus Christ is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine to be true. In Jesus' name, everybody said... That's right. But in that, we do not be foolish. We cannot be foolish. Give the devil, it says, come on, Ephesians 4.30, don't give him an opportunity. Ephesians 6.10, put on the full armor of God. Why? Because you're going to need it. How do you build a prayer hedge? Here's my definition. The prayer hedge is our first hedge. Everyone say, first. first. Okay, we start this by building a prayer hedge that builds and supports all the other hedges. Prayer is what anoints and supports every other hedge in our life. The prayer hedge is our first hedge that builds and supports all other hedges. Through prayer, we fortify. That's exactly what we're going to do. And we reinforce, yes, yes, Our personal hedges that shield our lives, our relationships, our work, our households, and our promises of blessing, favor, and increase. We're looking for God to shield us, build a hedge around us and our households and our futures and, and, and. We're looking to rebuild. Some of us have seeds in the ground, but the hedge has never grown. Some of us have, and you've seen, if, you, if you've if you gone by any kind of a hedge that's been broken down, and a hedge that's been broken down, not watered, not trimmed, and has all kinds of holes in it, is one of the most ugliest things a yard can have is a broken down hedge. But when you go and, and you see a beautiful hedge, like when I was in England, I went to some of the places that uh, they must do degrees in hedge keeping because their hedges are far beyond anything I've ever seen in America. I mean, they are hedges that really define what a hedge looks like. And so you can have a beautiful, full, high Green, lush hedge that nothing can get through, and your life is so surrounded by the favor and blessing of God. Or you can have an old, scraggly hedge that's a few bushes with holes in it and brown limbs, and everything's broken off, and every cat and dog comes and does their thing on it, and they're just a, an old hedge that doesn't keep anything out. People can just jump over it, it doesn't protect, it doesn't say anything. How many of you would like to change your old, brown, broken down hedge to a nice, leather? Green, beautiful hedge. Now, as I'm talking, how many of you are running two reels? You're listening to me, and you're running the other reel called memory, discernment. What about my hedge? Did I break something down? Has the enemy taken advantage of me? Can this? How many are running two reels as I'm talking right now? How many are saying, "Oh God, don't let me break my hedge." Even if I was stupid, forgive me of stupidity, but repair my hedge. Even if I didn't know what I was doing and the devil, took advantage of me. Lord, I pray you take advantage of him, but please help me build my hedge. And so the Holy Spirit will. He'll come upon all of us, restore our hedge. First hedge that you're going to build is the prayer hedge. Prayer hedge is obviously built by prayer. Now, here's your decision. Number one, the personal decision it's for you to break up unplowed ground. Now, I want to read this scripture, and maybe you're there, and if you can find Hosea and mark your Bible, it would be wonderful. Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves in righteousness. So you're doing something. You're sowing. Reap in mercy, so you sow, you reap. Then it says this. Break up. Everyone shout, break up. Break up. A little louder. Break up. Your fallow ground. What is fallow ground? It is time to seek the Lord. Your personal decision, when we start this prayer time, if we start together, your personal decision is first, seek the Lord, but before you can seek the Lord, you have to break up the ground. And fallow ground is ground that has been plowed before, but has now become hardened. There was a time you prayed, maybe. There was a time you had dynamic relationship with Jesus. There was a time when you felt the presence of the Lord and devotions were easy for you. There was a time when your personal hedge was lush grain and your soul was empowered and your emotions were healed and your mind was renewed and your life was transformed and you were walking in the ways of God and everything was working out for your good and you were just in it because you understood what it meant to relate to Jesus. There was a time But maybe that ground got plowed and hardened. For you to do what I'm talking about, You have to break up the ground. To break up is to cultivate, crack open, split it open with force to get back to the soil that's soft. If you do that, there are four different ground conditions you will face. Take these down, please. They're all out of Matthew 13. But as we go to prayer, these are four potential grounds that you need to plow. There are heart conditions. Matthew 13, 19, 20, 22, and 23 gives you the four heart conditions. Jesus says, now look at When the plow of the Spirit comes and the seed of the Word is dropped in, this is your potential heart condition. Number one, indifferent ground. Now think about it. How's your ground? Indifferent ground. Matthew 13, verse 19, when anyone hears the Word of the Kingdom, you're listening to the Word of the Kingdom right now and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches it away before it can lodge in the heart, before it can find any depth in the heart, the enemy comes and snatches it up. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Number one heart condition you and I have to solve right now. Indifferent heart is a heart hardened by what? Busyness and preoccupation. The wayside was the busy side of life. Busyness and preoccupation is what will keep you from prayer and fasting. Busyness and preoccupation is where you'll find your excuse. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I can't fit it in. I don't have time. I'm not going to do this. I don't know what to do with a prayer card. Morning and evening, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to go out to the church and pray. I'm not going to... Because you're busy. Please understand. All of us have busyness that can be good and busyness that can be wrong. Preoccupation with everything in life and no preoccupation with God Indifferent ground. Number two, shallow ground. Matthew 13, 20, this is a heart that has very little depth. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, but it doesn't grow. Why? Because the roots can't go deep enough because the ground is too shallow. It's like sowing seed on what you think is dirt, but when you take your hands and move the dirt right underneath, it's rock. And so there's no no way the roots can go down through the rock because there's not enough soil and what you thought was underneath is not really growable, and so you should have sowed over there. Jesus, that's the way it is with some people's heart. They have such shallow soil. Nothing takes root. Number three, cluttered ground. Heart crushed with distractions. Verse 22. You receive the word, but it's like sowing among thorns. What are the thorns? Jesus tells us what the thorns are. Cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. What do they do? Choke the word. Choke it. So you're right now sitting under the Word and Bible teaching. And the Bible, as I'm telling you right now, is a, is a Bible that says, I want to bless you. I want to use you. I want to I want to sow good things into your life. And I want you to build some good hedges. And, and this is what a hedge is. And, and uprightness and how you walk. And don't violate that hedge. And, and this is how you can make your personal life better. And, and you can actually have a, a better business life and a better work life. And you can have the favor of God upon you and all these things. But as you hear the Word... If there's nothing in you to obey, to change, to renew, to transform, to let roots go down, you are like the Matthew 13 person who hears, but nothing ever grows out of it. Because it's so shallow. Oh, yeah, yeah. You forget it before you open the car door. Jesus says, a cluttered ground is a heart that's crushed with the chokes of this world, the carriage of this world. Number four, a responsive ground. This is what we want. A heart that is ready to change. A responsive heart. Verse 23 But he who receives seed on the good ground, and Jesus talks about the good ground being a good heart, and this simply means, you know what that simply means when Jesus says a good heart? He simply means an honest heart. That's what the word is honest, transparent. Yes. Honest. He's not talking about some deep, deep thing you can't grasp. He simply says a good heart is an honest heart. An honest heart would say, that is the way I am, but I'm going to change. A deceptive person will say, I don't think I'm that way, and I don't think I need to change. It's not honest. An honest heart says I need Jesus, and I need him desperate if I'm going to change my heart. That's honest good soil starts with good response come jesus and visit us in this time can i hear an amen? amen couple more minutes here's another personal decision we will make during this time we want to resist prayerlessness as a lifestyle Many of us are caught up in the carriage of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the busyness, the preoccupation, the hard ground, the lack of response, the lack of discipline. I mean, it's the American Christian, it's the American way, and it's not a good way. And so I'm trying to encourage myself and you that we don't have to live a lifestyle of prayerlessness. Job 16, 21, oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads with his neighbor. So it's a, it's a pleading intercessory spirit that comes on this person. Luke 18, 1 says, he spoke a parable, a story to them, Jesus, that men always ought to pray and never lose heart about prayer. We can lose heart about a lot of things. And I'll tell you what, you'll lose heart a lot quicker when there's no prayer. You lose heart, you lose hope, you lose faith, you lose expectation. If you don't have prayer, you'll lose heart about the challenge and about the stuff in front. you. You just lose heart. Prayerlessness sets you up to be picked off. Andrew Murray, if you read him, grab his book anywhere you can find him and read him. Andrew Murray said, The sin of prayerlessness is a proof that the life of God in the soul is in deadly sickness and weakness. Whoa, pretty potent words. Wesley Duwell, another great prayer writer, said this. Prayerlessness is the sin of a casual Christian. Is that not the sin of America? Casual Christian. Prayerlessness is a sin against your own spiritual life. You will not grow in grace. Prayerlessness robs you of the consciousness of the near presence of Jesus Prayerlessness is evidence of our attitude toward God, which is unfaithfulness, lovelessness, hard-heartedness, prayerlessness. Well, that's not going to be us. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not going to be me. Come on, tell somebody, that's not going to be me. How many of you would say, there was a time, I won't tell you when, but at least in the last 50 years, there was a time when I was prayerless. Anybody there? How many have ever suffered from being too casual of a Christian? Anybody there? How many have ever said, why doesn't America have a revival? What's wrong with us? And you look in the mirror and say, oh, I understand. Is that right? Oh, I understand. I understand. So many distractions. So many things. Now, I'm not here to pour guilt upon you. Thank God for America and all the great things we have and all the great things we can do with our family and our lives and all the choices we have. It's awesome. But right now, our choice is to throw off the yesterdays and to throw off the casualness and to throw off the prayerlessness and to stand in the gap with Jesus during the next 14 days and do something in our spirit, our mind, and our heart concerning prayer and fasting. One meal a day. Look online, do the Daniel fast, no sweets, no meats, and just do the fruit, juice, nuts, and all that stuff. There's ways for you to fast. You don't you don't have to kind of do all or nothing. Try something. Start with devotions every day for 14 days. This might be the most important 14 days of the 365 you will have in 2012. You might never have a whole body of people, everyone encouraging the other person. Hey, you fasting, you praying, you reading, you doing the prayer card, you coming to prayer tonight, it's God helping you, you casting off prayerlessness. Come on, Jesus, let's help one another. We're going for God. The devil's a liar. Our God's a good God. The devil is not a good devil. He's a bad devil and God is a good God. Therefore, I'm going to seek the face of the Lord. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord and I will learn how to pray. How many of you would like to learn how to pray just a little bit more. All of us would. So let's all do it together. Are you with me? How many have gotten something out of this message? How many got more than one thing? How many were taking notes with someone else in mind? They need this. They need this. Oh, I can't wait to tell them about this. We are going to start 2012 with amazing unity, strength, and answers to prayer. I don't know about you, but I do know I need some desperate answers to prayer. Anybody else with me? How many of you need some desperate answers to prayer? How many of you would like to see some things just really, really miraculously change? I mean, whether it's in me, in someone else, in a family, in a business, it could be any realm. But we want God. Listen, there's hope if God is involved. If God is involved, there's hope for something to change. There's hope. There's hope.